0: And now for something completely different. Ah!
1: Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it's the second best day of the week. As uh, we get ready to wrap up a fairly good week so far in the markets. Now, yesterday... Uh, we actually saw that kind of first crack in technology that we've been talking about here for a while. You know, we've been discussing the fact that technology gotten a bit ahead of itself and that we were expecting a rotation in the markets. And we discussed that a little bit yesterday about the recent outperformance of small cap stocks uh, versus large caps just over the last couple of days. There's been this very rapid rotation in the market as investors really uh, have been scrambling to buy calls on small caps all of a sudden. And uh, by by record levels of puts on the Nasdaq, so uh, this reversal or this uh, kind of rotation in the market has has kind of gotten underway over the last day or so. Um, we'll see how how what kind of legs that has. Uh, as we discussed yesterday, small caps are already extremely overbought, and you know something we'll touch on this weekend's newsletter as well. You know there's you know this that's been a real underperforming area of the market, and as we discussed yesterday as well. Is that if the economy is slowing down, if we are going to see a, a slower economic environment in the near future, uh, that doesn't bode well uh, for small caps and mid cap stocks in particular that don't have the ability to weather, um, you know, kind of substantial drops in consumer spending. So again, kind of an, an interesting bet here. If you're looking at what the market's doing right now, uh, this bet on small caps is suggesting no recession. So. You've got to really start to think about, you know, kind of what your views are and what the expectations are and, you know, kind of what to expect, you know, kind of going forward. Now, um, as we've discussed, next week, of course, and we'll get into this in more detail this morning with Michael Leibowitz, but next week, of course, is the Federal Reserve. And that'll be the next rate hike uh, discussion that we're going to have about hiking rates in the economy. Of course, expectations since the last FOMC meeting were no no more rate hikes. We were going to pause. But because of recent inflation data, employment data, et cetera, that may be changing. And again, higher rates impact small and mid-sized companies a lot more than it affects companies like an Apple or a Google or a Microsoft that have plenty of capital, A, on hand, but B, don't have to borrow debt if they don't want to. Smaller cap companies have to borrow debt. They borrow that at higher rates. And we've got a lot of refinancing for debt in these smaller companies coming due over the next year or two. And if they're going to have to refinance that debt at higher rates, that can be problematic as well. So again, while we're seeing this rotation in the market, again, something that both Michael and I have been writing about and talking about here on the show, this rotation that started yesterday and and really a couple of days ago, um, that may have some short-term legs. But again, from an economic front, that may be more of an opportunity to to sell into and, and reduce exposure to small caps and mid caps than looking to increase that, footprint significantly in your portfolio. So again, just something we'll have to watch. This is early and this rotation is very much needed. You know, we had a very bifurcated market between technology and just just basically just discretionary communications and and, uh, technology, which primarily is Microsoft, Apple, Google, Meta, (laughs) Amazon. That's those stocks. Those had really, really big corrections. Um, over the last couple of days in particular, and, and again, we see this uh, kind of break finally. The NASDAQ had run up, gotten to fairly overbought levels. We were three standard deviations above the moving average. Yesterday was really that, that first big crack in the NASDAQ that we've seen in a while. So uh, again, we're, not, we're still in a buy signal right now. That buy signal is very elevated. A couple more days of weakness, if we get that, will trigger... Um, potentially a sell signal on the NASDAQ, suggesting this rotation may have a bit more work to do um, uh, before it's over. So again, just something we'll be watching very closely. Fridays, interestingly enough, have been some of the best trading days this year. In fact, so far in 2023, if you just look at Friday trading, then the the market is up 105% on an annualized basis. Now, if we go back in history, and look at other years where the Friday transactions were as positive as this. In other words, 55% returns or more. Those were all a a collection of some of the best bull markets in history. So again, don't know what what all that means. Again, we've got a lot of views out there that suggest weaker economic growth, weaker markets in the future. But a lot of the underlying investment structures are certainly looking at a, a much more bullish outlook here. Uh, again, investors have been really kind of chasing stocks here, expecting a higher level of profitability and earnings for companies. But again, from the economic data, when we take a look at that, you know that suggests something very different. So again, it's a very, very tough market. This has been more, one of the more challenging markets to invest in in quite some time. It's it's difficult because there's such a dichotomy between what the markets are doing and what a lot of the economic data suggests. And normally that isn't the case. But this year it is. It makes it challenging to invest. It's one of these years where we've got to be much more nimble, as Michael and I have talked about numerous times on the show, just kind of being, you know, a bit able to call an audible at different times just to change directions in portfolios, take advantage of opportunities. This isn't this isn't a normal market, and so if you're expecting it to act like a normal market, that's why it's challenging because it's not. Um, outside of that, though, as we continue to kind of look over the course of the next couple of months as we get into summer, um, consumer spending is under pressure. Now it's interesting to watch what's happening with credit card uh, debt. Credit card debt had a very very big surge last month and again consumers tapping more and more credit to make ends meet of course this is happening at the same time that interest rates on credit cards are now at some of the highest levels historically so interest rates on the on the on the debt they're accumulating is going up but they're having to tap more credit to make ends meet and they're able to do that right now at least so far so again that's why consumer spending has remained fairly strong retail sales look okay and, the, and, and really on the services side of the economy, it's still an expansion territory for now. But keep a watch on that because again, as we've talked about before, this lag effect of monetary policy takes about 15 to 18 months when it gets to credit cards and consumer spending. And you know we're starting to get to that point to where you, those lag effects are about to start to catch up with consumers. So again, this is the challenging part. The markets are saying, hey, don't worry about it, everything's fine. The economic data suggests something very different. How this all turns out, I don't know. My, my, my suspicion is, is that we're going to have a bit more work to do in this market over the course of the next three to six months before we get kind of an all clear that this is now behind us. But again, who knows? Maybe everything is fine, and we just kind of rally back up to all-time highs. We'll see what happens here. But again, I think the big the big story here, as, as we've been talking about over the last few days in particular, is that if this rotation is beginning, then we should see money flows kind of switch from these big technology names, Nvidia, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Meta, which we saw yesterday, and flow into some of the other areas of the markets, particularly energy, staples, utilities, real estate, which all those had fairly big days yesterday. And if that rotation continues, there's some good value in those areas of the market that have really been ignored this year. They haven't performed well at all. But there's actually some good value in those stocks with basically good dividend yields as well. So those should get a little bit of love here, at least short-term in the markets. We'll see. And, then, and if this rotation begins to have some legs to it, there's a real opportunity to potentially make some money in those sectors of the markets over the next few months. Anyway. A lot of stuff to get into this morning. We'll come back, pick up with Michael Leibowitz. We'll talk about the Fed meeting next week. Jerome Powell on deck. What's he going to do with interest rates? Will he hike? Won't he hike? That's the big question right now. That's the big debate. And what does that mean for the markets? Talk about that next right here on The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com Oh, Red, I declare I missed that candy coffee Whatever am I gonna do? Don't you worry, little darling We'll watch it again on our YouTube channel. Why, Red? never the real investment show youtube channel has all of our past presentations from candid coffee and lunch and learn to special topic discussions and all of our live show recordings preserved for you subscribe now to the real investment show youtube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show And welcome back to the show this morning. So as uh, we've been talking about here for, you know, the last couple of days is that, you know, right now the markets are kind of in a moment of calm, so to speak. We haven't had a lot of economic data out this week to speak of. You know, last week was the big employment report on Friday. This week's been pretty quiet, but it's all kind of just gearing up for potentially for next week because next week, of course, is is the next Fed meeting. And the markets have been hoping here that the Fed is going to pause rate hikes and that they're not going to hike anymore, at least for now. And, you know, this was kind of something that was mentioned at the last FOMC meeting, which was, you know, Jerome Powell said, hey, you know, we've hiked here. And he made reference to bank lending standards, which are tightening. And that acts as a de facto rate hike as well in the economy in terms of slowing down consumer spending. Because if if bank lending standards tighten, they're not making as many loans, people have less capital to work with, slows down economic growth. So, you know, the the theory was, at least from the last Fed meeting, is that the Fed is done. They're not going to hike rates anymore. And let these bank lending standards do the work for them. The problem came last Friday with that employment report coming in at uh, 329,000 jobs. That is certainly you know, a, a problem. And then, of course, also consumer spending really kind of remains intact at this point. So when we take a look at a lot of the inflation data, the core inflation data, some of the sticky price inflation data, that's not really coming down. The, you know, Headline inflation is coming down, and, and that would happen anyway. That's a, that's a year-over-year math comparison issue. We've talked about this before. As, as year-over-year comparisons get easier, inflation was going to fall rather sharply just from a mathematical basis. doesn't mean that prices come down, right? Gasoline at $4 a gallon on January 1st of one year. Gasoline at $4 a gallon January 1st of next year. Inflation is zero. Prices didn't change, but because of the way we calculate inflation, inflation falls. So headline inflation is falling very sharply, but so far, core inflation isn't. That's a bit of a problem for the Fed. This is going to feed into this next meeting and whether or not they're going to continue hiking rates or not. Mike, uh, welcome to the show this morning. So... You know, this is one of the things that we've talked about a good bit, Um, you know, in the past, of course, as 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 the Federal Reserve, this lag effect of rate hikes certainly don't seem to be uh, impacting the economy just yet. This lag effect. But, you know, the Fed's got to figure out what to do with inflation. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. So, uh, look, I think the Fed's at the point where they've raised rates enough, maybe too much. Uh, And I think the Fed, you know, they'll never say it out loud, but they think it. Now it's a question of how long do they keep them at current levels At you know, maybe slightly higher if they go one or two more times over the next uh, few meetings. Um, They know inflation is going to come down, but they they have a transitory problem. They were wrong on inflation when, you know, in 2000, late 2020, 2021, when the writing was on the wall, they were wrong again that it would come down really sharply. Um, so I think they need to, this is kind of more about politics, more about narrative and they need to, to remain quote unquote hawkish to remain strong and possibly raise rates. But, you know, the reason the lag effect, there is a lag effect is because interest rates just don't hit everyone at the same time. A company that has a bunch of debt outstanding that that issued a bunch of debt in 2018 and it doesn't mature until August of 2023 doesn't care that interest rates are higher. They will care in August because that's when their interest expense is going to shoot up when they have to, that debt is going to mature and they're going to have to roll it over into new debt at an interest rate that could be two to three times higher than what it was. So the, the lag effect is about time and the Fed knows, the Fed must know never assume what the Fed knows or we think they know, but the Fed must know that, that the lag effect still works. We're, we're still an economy very heavily dependent on debt. It's just a question of when does that debt really affect the economy and when does the stimulus that's still coursing through the system slow up enough. And for that reason, I think the Fed's kind of just at a point where they're like, what matters most is that we keep rates up here. For a long time, not whether it's five, five and a half, five and a quarter, um, and, and likewise, it could be four and three quarters, four and a half. But the reason they wouldn't drop it is be because it just just creates more of the animal spirits in other asset markets, which do generate inflation.
1: Well, and that's so, gonna be, that's that's kind of the the big question, though, right, Mike? I mean, uh, you know, what you're talking about here is this lag effect. We have talked about this for a while, right? Is this lag yep. effect on policy? The lag and effect th- is lagging. Yeah, and it's not shown up yet. And the markets are basically saying it's not going to show up. Right. You know, you've got the markets uh, sending a very different message. And, you know, from the market standpoint, you know, the market tends to lead the economy by six to nine months. And so, you know, this is the this is the big challenge right now between, you know, fundamentals and economics and all this type of stuff that we have to look at as investors. You know, you're getting two very, very different messages. And the question is, which one's Right.
0: Right, uh, you know. Look, at the end of the day, our economy is a one and a half, two percent growth economy, and nothing has changed since the pandemic. Yes, there's been stimulus, and that temporarily creates more growth, but at the end of the day, we're let's just say a two percent economy with five plus percent interest rates. That's a massive tax on economic growth, and it's not hitting yet. A because, like I said. It's taken a while for that interest rate effect to, to hit people, right? There's just the, the mortgage, the real estate market is pretty much seized up. There's no buys, there's no sales. So the amount of people being affected by higher interest rates is so far minimal. Um, you know, auto loans are going up, credit card loans, rates are going up. Mm-hmm. So we will see it ha- hurting the economy. 2022 was a low year as far as corporate debt maturities 2023 it's increasing but there's much more in 24 so again you know when i was talking about the lag effect 6 9 months ago maybe even a year ago i didn't think it would last this long but again the mathematics behind it haven't changed and i still think that the economy is being taxed more and more every day and we're certain you know we're seeing parts of the economy that are probably in a recession manufacturers probably in a recession service sector still seems to be doing well. Uh, Parts of the economy like leisure, travel, restaurants are doing really well. Other parts are doing poorly. So, you know, I I think it's just a question of time until those interest rates truly start bringing the economy back to where the Fed Fed really wants to bring it in order to ensure that inflation is back down to the 2% target.
1: Well, you know, this and, and, and if that is the case, then, you know, right now you take a look at analysts for, you know, stock market earnings, etc. You know, analysts are saying that, you know, the quarter four earnings in, in 2022 was the bottom and earnings right. did improve in quarter one. So we actually saw earnings tick up about four dollars a share. And quarter one, and now they're projecting out earnings to continue to improve into 2024. But if, if, if you're right and we do get this economic slowdown, it, then earnings have to decline. So, you know, that's yeah. another conundrum. You know, it's it's, you know, earnings were were obviously down from last year. But they were much better than estimates, and you know that's what that's been part and parcel of what's been giving the market a lift here. And analysts are expecting those earnings to continue to improve. Profit margins are still elevated on a historical basis, but they're expecting profits uh, to continue to improve as well. So again, we go back to this dichotomy between you know, what the markets are expecting. And, and of course, markets trade against expect, future expectations. And so if expectations are for earnings to increase, then people are going, oh, well, based on forward earnings, stocks are cheaper right now, so I need to buy them now. But if that turns out not to be the case, A, stocks are really expensive right now, and earnings are going to have to go back down again.
0: Right. Uh, absolutely. And, look, we know that forward earnings get revised significantly, sometimes upward, sometimes downward. Um, uh, so, you know, we'll see where those earnings come in, but you're right. If the economy is really going to slow down, the market is really off sides or, you know, analyst expectations for earnings yeah. are really off sides. They're going to come down sharply, which will weigh on the market. But what's really interesting, and we, you know, we should talk more about this is what's the market telling us about a recession. And if we had this conversation a week ago, I would have told you that all the cyclical sectors were doing nothing all year, right? They were mm-hmm. down. Some of them were down on a year while the, the NASDAQ and the kind of high-tech growth uh, sectors were running. Then you look at it this week and the market's saying, what recession? <laughs> you know, as those small caps, which are very, very sensitive to the economy, are up, the the, the Russell's up, I think, 7 or 8% this week in the right. last five days.
1: Yeah, and, that's, and, and we will talk about that on the other side of the break because that's been one of kind of the... Interesting anomalies of the markets, you know, we, we, we you know, if you take a look at what's happening with options and, and where traders are speculating more than anything else. Um, you know, we're seeing all of a sudden this massive surge of people that are buying, you know, call options on small cap stocks and record put options on the Nasdaq. So they're betting that this right. whole A.I. chase is over and it's now, you know, into the small cap names. You know, it's, a, it's very interesting. This market's, uh, you know, all, almost, uh, you know, bipolar. You know, one moment it's, it's on one thing, and the next moment it's another thing, and, and we're just kind of chasing whatever the, the theme of the moment is. We'll see if that actually works out uh, and how it works out. But we will, we'll talk about this on the other side of the break. What is the market telling us about the economy and, and, you know, kind of where we go to from here, and is the market right? As I said, markets are generally pretty good at predicting outcomes six, to, six months in advance, and you know if markets are right we've got a bull market ahead of us um if not there's gonna be a lot of disappointment we'll talk about that on the other side of the break don't go away The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. So look, this is uh, a big challenge for investors right now. It's just a... Very interesting market that we live in this year. Um, it's been very one-sided so far. We talked about this before, is that, you know, pretty much year to date, all the gains have come from primarily 7 to 10 stocks. And we just did a report on this on our website uh, just this past Tuesday, talking about this, you know, this kind of weighting in the market and, and what's, you know, the, the, the drivers of the market this year so far. And And we've been talking about this idea of a of a market rotation in fact michael lebowitz just posted an article part one of an article um on our website this past tuesday or wednesday uh yesterday as a matter of fact uh, this being thursday time flies um anyway yesterday uh there's an article part one of a of a series talking about sector rotation in the market how it works why it works those type of things so uh, again this is something that we've talked about for a while that's ha- that, that would happen um and you never know the reason why it will happen right there's always we never know what causes these rotations they just occur and so maybe and again it's early to tell but over the last few days small caps have just been on fire of course they've also been beat to death this year (laughs) you know going into last week um, small cap mid caps were running a negative rate of return for the year so you know now they're positive all of a sudden and it's and it's good they're playing catch up but You know, over the last, you know, few years, actually, um, small caps and mid caps and especially IWM as a kind of a proxy for both has has vastly underperformed the S&P 500. So this is part of the challenge of investing. Right. You know, this this old thesis about, well, just have a little of everything in your portfolio. Have some small cap, mid cap, large cap, international emerging markets, and you'll be fine. Right. Because over time, what will happen is things rotate from one area to another and you make good returns. Well, the problem is, is that since 2009, since we started this whole monetary fantasy that we've been on with the Federal Reserve, large caps have outperformed everything by a large degree. If you owned anything else, you've lagged market returns by a, a substantial margin over the last 12 years. It's been primarily the big tech names that have been driving the market most of the return. So, again, this is this is kind of the, the problem for where we are now. What is the market t- – uh, you know, is the market trying to tell us something? This is this is where we kind of left off the last debate. The Fed's going to hike rates next week maybe. Um, Inflation is still a problem. Economic data remains weak. And, again, as you know, plenty of headlines, right, about potential for a recession, potential for an economic slowdown, et cetera – but what's the market telling us? And this is, this is the big challenge. And this has been a big challenge for investors all year. What worked last year isn't working this year. What was, what was terrible last year is working this year. You know, this, you know It was interesting, in October of last year, and every week in our newsletter we post, we post a lot of analysis on year-to-date market returns, et cetera, for different sectors. In October of last year, energy stocks were up 50%. Everything else in the NASDAQ, everything else in the market, small cap, mid cap, large cap, every sector of the market, international, were negative last year in October. This year, technology is up 60 percent and energy is down 10. So, again, a very different market in just a few months. And things can happen quickly. Things can change fast. But what's that telling us about the economy? What's that telling us about the future? Who's right? And, and again, this is the big debate, Mike. Um, this is what uh-huh. we kind of left off in the last segment is, you know, yeah. what is this all of a sudden, this resurgence of small cap uh, stocks and mid cap stocks? What's that telling us? Is it telling us anything? Or is this just a, 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 a speculative rotation into areas that were really beaten up in the market? Or is this telling us something more significant about the economy going forward?
0: Well, typically you would like to see small cap stocks lead a rally from lows but we're far from market lows. Those lows were last October. That's when, if this was a durable rally, you know, long-term bull market, that's when small caps typically outperform, mm-hmm. when the economy is set on a nice glide path for at least a few years higher. Um, but the, these rotations have been so fierce, so quick. You know, we, know, we knew... have have followed it for weeks that small caps and like those cyclical sectors, industrials, materials, uh, even staples, utilities have been just oversold. You know, on Simplvisor, we have some pretty cool charts that allow us to or tables that allow us to see what's overbought and oversold. And we talk about them every day. And every day we've had, you know, for the last month or two, we've had the discussion. Tech and consumer discretionary are very overbought. Everything else is oversold. And especially the cyclical sectors are the most oversold. And then all of a sudden, a week later, and it's just flipped on a dime. So to me, this feels a lot more like speculative rotation than a true lasting rotation. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that what we saw in tech and large cap in those you know five to ten stocks is necessarily the the long-term trend either. I mean, I just think that this market is just looking for the next big five to ten percent gain in a week and jumping on it. You know AI was in vogue last week. Now it's small cap stocks, uh, mid-cap stocks. Um, what's going to be next week? and it, it it's it makes it extremely difficult for investors. Because the moves happen so suddenly that if you weren't in it before it, it's almost impossible to catch it before a huge gain. And the problem with being in it before it is that that trade can languish for months, right? We knew at some some point cyclical stocks, materials, industrials would, would kind of snap out of their funk. You know, we didn't suspect it would all happen within <laughs> days, right? Um, that's not the way markets rotations typically happen over time and they give you plenty of time to get in, see if it's real exit. If it's not real, get back in and eventually ride that rotation. Um, what we're seeing today feels, you know, it, it's a game of hot potato that's being played almost on a daily basis. What's the hot sector?
1: What's not? Well, and, um, yeah, but, you know, we see that in the options market, too, Mike. I mean, you know, all of a sudden right, well, you've got, you know, record put options on the queues just in the matter of a couple of days. Uh, right. You've got record call options on small cap stocks in the matter of a couple of days. And, and this is very speculative in nature. I mean, this is, you know. You know, and we've seen a lot of this over the last couple of years, really, ever since, you know, kind of the the the, the, the pandemic bailouts where we flooded the system and, and really started to turn the market into a lot more of a casino type environment where, you know, we were chasing meme stops like GameStop and, and others. Then it was SPACs and then it was IPOs and then it was, you know, energy stocks. Then it was, you know, the the next, you know, kind of du jour. But this market, to your point, has been like a game of hot potato. It's just jumping from one speculative kind of frenzy to another and all the all the investors are just running in and going okay there, there's where we are let's buy options on it and we see this massive surge of options and, and of course you know we're also talking about these zero dte options these zero days to expiration which have become a real thing over the last year which is even more speculative in nature we're not even buying stocks anymore we just buy the options that are going to expire within 24 hours to see if we can catch a move
0: right right and i right the options volume is off the charts and i think what's important to understand is that when there's obviously two people on each side of an options trade and quite often wall street's on the other side of a trade so if i buy a call on apple stock and apple stock stock apple stock starts rising that dealer because unlike me and you the dealers don't, aren't just, if if I'm long the call, they're not, they, they are short the call, but they're not betting against Apple. They're really in it to make a few cents between the bid offer spread. So they're hedging everything. So if I buy Apple calls and Apple stock starts rising, they have to slowly start buying Apple stock. So the more calls, the more, the more options out there, the more underlying uh, dealer hedging has to occur. And when everyone's on one side of the table or the other as far as option traders it tends to push some of these stocks which lead the markets in you know probably more more in one direction than they otherwise would have gone so you know and again a lot of this options trading is speculative it's not you know you're not buying a zero and an option expires in a day or two days or six hours because you're an investor you're buying it because you're speculating right and It's it's hard to it's very hard to quantify its effect on the market, but it's clearly having a big effect. And yeah, we certainly see it in some stocks, Uh, but it it seems like it's spreading to the broader markets, uh, broader indices, and it's just going to create more volatility. And look, the volatility index is dirt cheap right now. But the VIX measures longer-term options, and and those options are used more for hedging, more for invest. There are more investors in the longer-term options than the shorter-term options, which are much more speculative. So you you know, I say more volatile, but if you look at the, VIN, the VIX index, you're going to say, "What are you talking about? It's very low right now." But the volatility between these rotations in the sectors, right? The market didn't go anywhere yesterday, but the Russell was up, what, one and a half Mm -hmm. and the Nasdaq was down one and a half percent. Yep. So so it's this the the markets, you know, the broad indices, the S&P may not be going anywhere, but the volatility or the discrepancies and divergences between the prices of its underlying stocks seems to be, you know, at some of the highest levels we've seen in a long time.
1: Well, and actually, you, you touched on uh, the topic I wanted to touch on next, which was the VIX, because you know there is a very interesting story behind the VIX and what it's telling us right now, and, well, I should say what it's not telling us. And we'll talk about that after the break with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com Welcome back to the show this morning. So just real quick um, uh, Mike touched on the VIX um, and which is the volatility index and I guess the question Mike is 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 the VIX just now completely broken because of what's been going on in the markets you know, yesterday we saw the Nasdaq sell off pretty, pretty decently, and the volatility index on the Nasdaq is sitting at basically some of its lowest levels. It didn't even move yesterday. So, right. you know, what what you know you know the VIX used to be a decent measure of a uh, of a pickup in market fear, right? So, if the markets are selling off and there's more, uh, you know, kind of a more of a fear of a, of a deeper decline, volatility index is typically rising, um, but doesn't seem to be really telling you much of anything right now. Is this just a short-term anomaly, or is it just permanently broken at this point?
0: Well, again, it, it's it's calculated off longer-term options, and no one seems to be trading longer-term options anymore. So I would just say it's kind of missing the action right now. I, I still think it's a very, you know, it's something we should pay attention to. But I, I don't think because the VIX, I mean, it's – What trading at 13 or 14. That's a very complacent level. Uh, Basically, it measures how much stocks are expected to rise or fall in a year using options. And it's it's a statistical measure. Typically, on average, the VIX is kind of 16 to 18. It's been as high as 70s, 80s when the market's really selling off. And I believe it got below 10 at one point. you know, prior to the pandemic and possibly I don't think during a pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, it was kind of flirting below with 10. So historically, the VIX is ver- is showing that investors are very complacent. Uh, they may be. I mean, certainly clear. there are some indicators saying that, but it may also be that investors are just hedging themselves in different ways. Either they have more money in cash, so they don't need to hedge. They're using short-term options, which don't really register in the VIX calculation. So it's not that it's invalid. It's just that it's not necessarily as, uh, I guess, important to follow for right now. Doesn't mean we don't follow it. We do look at it every day. But, uh, you know, the, the, the way the market's trading is changing a little bit, whether it's temporary or permanent, we don't know but it's got a very, you know, it's weird because when you have these very speculative um, markets like this, the VIX tends to rise. The VIX was over 20 leading to the dot-com crash in the late 1990s. So, you know, even though, you know, technology stocks and stocks were, were going to the moon, the volatility index was slowly rising with them. And we're just not getting that at all today. So. It's hard to know what the VIX is telling us and isn't telling us because of the way it's calculated. But, uh, you know, I definitely recommend paying attention to it regardless.
1: Yeah, Um, you know, again, this is just another one of those challenges to a market that's become very speculative in nature, at least at this point. And, And, you know, will this end? Will it change or is this the new dynamic? I mean, you know, we've talked about the issues of passive investing and, and how passive investing is now. And when we say passive investing, we're talking about ETFs and, and, and really saying passive investing is, is not an accurate description because people trade ETFs all the time. It's just they're trading. You know, it's easier to trade an ETF than it is to buy individual stocks in a lot of cases. So they buy ETFs they are cheap um they get market exposure so but they're trading those just the same so they're they're actively trading ETFs but because of those dollar flows into ETFs and you know those create a very you know lopsided flow of of capital into the biggest stocks in those ETFs which you know Apple Microsoft Google we've talked about this issue you know that's really changed the market dynamic from what it used to be and when ETFs were first coming up they didn't really matter that much now they matter a whole lot and it's changed the game. And so a lot of these indicators that, you know, we've looked at for decades um, to provide clues as to what the market's going to do, they may not work anymore. Um, this is going to be a big challenge, you know, going forward is figuring out, you know, kind of what this new dy- dynamic looks like. Or do you just give up the ghost and just finally just give in and, and buy indexes <laughs> and just go home? It, that You know, how this turns out, I don't know, but... It certainly has become a lot more challenging environment.
0: Right. And, and I guess another question is, are passive investors becoming actively passive? So by that, I mean, you know, traditionally a passive investor would buy, you know, 60% stocks and 40% bonds and, and essentially, you know, spread out those stock purchases among four or five indices. So they have broad diversification across all types of stocks, small cap, mid cap, large cap, tech international, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that we're starting to see those investors now starting to trade, even, you know, 401k accounts, trading their (laughs) 401ks actively so that they're trying to keep up with the market, you know, a, a month ago, you know, flip into whatever options they have in their 401ks or, you know, to buy kind of AI high tech and now starting to say i got to get into small cap so instead of having a 5 or 10% allocation to small cap we're starting to see investors with 30 or 40% allocations again still 60% stocks but within those stocks they're starting to rotate quicker and yep. i don't have the answer to that but it's interesting to see if passive is in a way becoming active
1: you know, and it's kind of interesting too because you know you're a CFA. You went through the CFA exam, and and you know Nick in our office, he's in the middle of it right now. And you know, I have conversations with him, you know, about what he's learning and and you know you know where he is in the cycle of his of his exam. And you know, a lot of the stuff that you know he's being tested on is stuff you and I grew up with, you know, twenty thirty years ago. Right. You know, and 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 it's kind of interesting that you know the markets are changing. And, you know, but we're still teaching and educating people in the system based on stuff that is from 20, you know, theories of, you know, like, you know, Harry Markowitz and others uh, about diversification, all these other type of things, theories that, you know, matured back in the 70s and 80s are still being taught today, even though the the market game has changed so much. And do you think there's going to be a point to where, you know. You know, these, you know, certifications, et cetera, that, you know, we teach people um are gonna have to change to adopt to this kind of new reality of where we are with, you know, money flows and hedge funds and online twenty four seven trading, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And Lance, the the one thing, you know, ask Nick when you see him. The one thing that was not on my CFA test, and I'm pretty I'm ninety nine percent sure it's not gonna be on Nick's C F A test, is the Federal Reserve. Yeah. It's liquidity. Right. And I think everything you're kind of alluding to there is a function of excess of liquidity. That's what drives speculation. And the fact that, you know, know, the Federal Reserve should be a section of the test on its own. You know, you should have accounting, equities, derivatives, fixed income, portfolio management, ethics, and the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has become a big part of the market, like it or not. Some of what they do, they directly affect the market. Some of what they do is more through psychology, through their narratives. But it doesn't matter. Everyone should be grounded in the Federal Reserve, who they are, why they do things, what their what the effects of their actions are, the history of the Federal Reserve. And, you know, when we try to answer, is this a new market or an old market? It's a, it's a new market. The, you know, the market, when I took my CFA in, the, I guess it was the late 90s, the Federal Reserve was powerful, but it wasn't the end-all be-all. Now it, it's become much more powerful, you know, especially because of QE. Right. The Fed still owns, what do they own, seven, eight trillion of securities, making it one of the biggest investors, you know, quote unquote investors in the world. Uh, what they do really matters. What they say matters just as much and you know it's not just Jerome Powell there's you know what what are there 12 fed government fed mm-hmm. presidents 11 whatever it is every time one of them speaks it matters especially when they kind of they they extend the boundaries of what the fed is what we think the fed is
1: thinking well you know, so, it, it, no it's a great point because you know back in the 90s you know if you asked somebody on the street who the fed chairman was they couldn't tell you and if they were invested in the markets they could tell you it was alan greenspan but they couldn't tell you who the other, in the names of any of the other Fed presidents. They were behind the scenes; nobody knew who they were. Now everybody knows, you know, Kashkari and and you know, uh, Mester and all the other ones because they're on TV all the time. They're in the headlines all the time. You know, this the, to your point, this is a very different market we have today, where these guys have basically become front and center of the market versus you know where they should be, which is way behind the scenes and nobody ever knows of them.
0: So here's here's a great example, Lance. My wife has I don't think she's ever listened to our show. If she's read more than three paragraphs of my articles, I'd be impressed. Yeah. She showed me the other day that Jerome Powell was the Grateful the not they're not the Grateful Dead Dead and Company I think is their current name. The yep. remnants of the Grateful Dead were playing here last weekend. She goes, Hey, did you see Jerome Powell was at the Grateful Dead show or the Dead and Company show? The fact that she knew who Jerome Powell was was. You know, and could, you know, that saw the picture and knew it was him. That tells you a lot about how much more notoriety the Fed yeah. president has. She I don't think she could tell you who Greenspan was.
1: I, I agree with you. Real quick here before we wrap up the wrap up the show. Um parents are now stepping into the kids' workplace. So, uh, Mike, you have a new role as your kids go out into the workplace. Anxious parents have shepherded their kids through high school, college, and the pandemic, and now they are entering the workplace. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Recruiters and hiring managers say they are seeing an uptick in parents inserting themselves into their children's professional lives, calling up hiring managers, applying for jobs on their behalf, and even showing up aye. on the job to help mediate conflicts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, It's called cut the cord, people. You got to let the kids go and fend for themselves. Otherwise, they're not going to learn. They're not going to learn. Jeez. Parents, come on. All right wrap up the show today mike thanks so much uh get by the website our newsletter will be out tomorrow uh we've actually got an, an article out tomorrow coming out talking about recession indicators and what they are telling us and what they're not telling us uh that's uh, going to be published tomorrow the website our newsletter out this weekend of course get mike's latest article on the first part on sector rotations And you can instructions on how to do it yourself on simplevisor.com. That's on the website as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send us your questions, comments, emails. Let us know how we can help you. Happy to do it as always. And tomorrow, tune in. Financial Fitness Friday with Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso. See you then.